one summer we want to speak about you know the collective power of black people well, what are you talking talking about do you mean the collective power of african people you mean pan african ism or pan pan then say african i don't understand why people are so wedded to the term black and the justification for it is well it's because the european made it negative it's the european's word it was negative before it was applied to african people it's like they're getting it backwards it isn't that Europeans said we're going to make this word black negative in order to accommodate our desire to devalue African people or dark complexioned uh, Asian people or dark complexioned Native Americans. That's not how it worked. The word black, right, absence of light, if you will, was supposed to, to, to be uh, understood by any English speaker as largely negative before it was applied to people of African or Asian ancestry. Dr. Akbar, the prominent African-American psychologist, often talks about one of our issues is that we have become we meaning people of the African world, whether it's the continent or, or more especially within the diaspora, so-called black folks, are very reactive rather than proactive, which means that if this individual is calling himself white, we're going to react and call ourselves black because we're the opposite. Not really understanding that we're not exactly taking a step in the right direction because now, as I like to say, given all the cult, the linguistic and cultural baggage of black, you are trying to push an elephant uphill on roller skates. You're trying to turn a negative into a positive when there's a clean, pure stream nearby to draw from. Uh, if you're referring to complexion, in fact, uh, there's a famous... Um, seen in the movie Cry Freedom about the life of Steve Biko. Uh, the presumption is that this event actually occurred. If it didn't, it still made sense in terms of the screenwriters and Richard Attenborough putting it into the film. And that is Steve Biko was in court. He's charged with basically, you know, being seen as a threat to the apartheid system and he was banned. So he's in court talking to the European judge, the Boer British judge, and the judge says to him, Why call yourselves black? I mean, you people are more brown than black. And Biko says, Why do you call yourselves white? You people are more pink than white. And the judge goes, Precisely. But there's no deeper unpacking of what just occurred. And it raises an important question about systems of oppression. Why did Europeans decide to designate themselves as white? More specifically, English-speaking Europeans, because the term white is an English term. When you know why they chose the term, 
then you know what they sought to gain by it. When you also see that they leveled the term black against us, Asiatics, Africans, Asians, then you know what they sought to gain by imposing that on us. But why the need to fixate on black? There's the work of a Harvard uh, psychologist um, who I believe is of, of East Indian ancestry. Her name is Dr. Benaji. And her work on looking at uh, the implicit association test, which is used by psychologists to look at um, implied bias or biases that exist. She recognizes what are often called mind bug, which in fact she coined the term mind bugs, which are culturally imposed perceptions of reality. And the dominant perception of reality for those of us who speak the English language is when you say black or use black, its dominant use is negative. Black magic, black night, uh, black death, right? And to try to overcome that is very difficult. Now, this is a Harvard faculty member, psychologist, prominent psychologist who's pointing this out, and she calls them the mind bugs. Now, part of what people can do, you could say, well, you need to get people to stop thinking of black as something negative. Okay, that, that's all right, but in the context of, do you, do you want to fight that battle, or more importantly, should you be fighting that battle? Because you're still reducing yourself again to your pigment. And you're not looking at yourself in the context of a larger history. And if you want to, like I said, if you want to speak of we as, as uh, highly melanated people, or we as NUC, or we as, as I would say, people of predominant African ancestry, that makes more sense to me. I'm just, I'm just saying. So when I looked at what Drew Ali was trying to convey, and did convey, obviously, to those who heard what he was saying, back in the 19, early teens and 1920s in particular, that you are not black, you are not Negro, you are not colored. Just on a psychological level, I can see the value. I haven't even gotten into what the value and importance of what he was saying by, by having folks reject calling themselves Negro, black, or colored, because that's a whole nother issue. I just got into the psychology of it, right? That's why people, you know, c confuse. I've often thought of this. You have a child um, reading about the Black Knight and the Black Death and the Black Plague, and then the child goes, oh, and I'm a black child. What Benaji and others, Eric Heyman, who's another social psychologist, psychologist who's talked about this issue of implicit bias and its roots not in the individual mind you know part of the pers perspective on this is um, many psychologists are now trying to figure out why is it that police tend to shoot quote-unquote black men at uh, uh, at the rates that they do 
And is it because the individual police officer is overtly uh, racist? And what some of the psychology is now suggesting is it may not be a sense of overt racism, but rather the culturally imposed racism, what people used to call national character, how nations see themselves as a result of their particular histories and experiences. So, like I said, Drew Ali, just on, in terms of saying you're not Negro, Black, and colored, was getting people f out from under that weight of the negativity associated with blackness. And for people who say, well, it's better, the same person would not allow you to call him a Negro. But with all due respect, Negro is the same thing as black. If I'm speaking Spanish, I'm a, as a Negro. I'm gonna call you a Negro, right? So it doesn't make any sense. Yet, again, more is a reference to a people, to an empire, that covered a geographical location. The Moorish Empire at one time was... No store has more ways to save. From digital coupons and the online weekly ad to in-store savings with yellow coupons, meal deals, and everyday low prices. So look online. From the northwestern part of the Maghreb of North Africa, all the way down to the Senegal River, and as far east as the border of Egypt. Wow. That's part of what, and I'm just talking about what we know as the recognized Moorish Empire in terms of international uh, and diplomatic history and relations. So we can say that covers a wide swath of the African continent. That would include Africans of various hues, people who would be darker in complexion and others who'd be lighter in complexion. And the primary sources from uh, uh, Duarte, Portuguese travelers, and Azrara, and uh, English sources all affirm that the term Moor was used for people of African ancestry. Later, the term Blackamoor is introduced, but it's part of the development of the kind of pigmentocracy direction that exists. Within the English language, just as in other languages, there are different ways to translate something more accurately. So, and one of the examples I've often used is the difference in Spanish, if you're speaking of knowing someone versus knowing something, you don't use the same verb. Conocer and saber is not the same thing, right? One means to know a person, one means to know about something. By the same token, if you translate more to simply mean black, knowing that black in the English language is affiliated with so much negativity, long before it was ever referenced for people of African or I dare say Indian ancestry, because a lot of people seem to, to be under the impression that black was only used to refer to people of Africa. And that's not true. Black was, and in some cases, is still used to refer to people of Asia by Europeans. My first trip to um, England, and I was talking to um, people from Indonesia and Pakistan and uh, Cambodia and different parts of Southeast Asia. And they were bringing to my attention how you can read articles in the paper, 
and this is in the early 90s, where they would talk about a black person doing something, usually it might have been affiliated with some criminal act, unfortunately, which was part of their point at the time. But they were saying that the term was used to encompass them. And there was a debate between the younger generation of these people from Southeast Asia saying, well, we'll use the word black. I mean, people in the Americas have a black pride movement and, and you know, there was black consciousness in South Africa. And then there were those who were elders who were uh, averse to it. They didn't like it because they said, you don't want to be encapsulated simply in a color because now the emphasis is simply on your color and not on your culture. So they said, well, they saw the value of, meaning the young people saw the value of trying to use a new hip kind of term, if you will. But the elders said no, because what that's doing is reducing your value because in the English language, black is largely associated with a bunch of negativity. And just like Richard B. Moore said in his book from the 60s, um, the, the term or the word Negro, its origin and evil use, he made the same argument. Why you shouldn't use the term Negro? Well, guess what? Negro is Spanish for black. So folks went from Negro in Espanol to black in English, but it's still the same thing. And I literally mean thing. So defining yourself by an ethnicity or a nationality clearly would make more sense. And when the late great um, political scientist uh, Ali Mazrui, who was known for doing a series uh, back in the 80s on Africa, um, he was Kenyan born. Um, he actually said, uh, black people are the only group in the United States that is designated racially as opposed to geographically, right? Um, or nationally. And this is part of the problem, right? You have, and that's why I've said to people all the time, why don't we speak of yellow Americans? Right? If we're going to use the color nomenclature, use it across the board. Right. Just use it all the time. Right. But if someone will say, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Irish, I'm German, I'm black, and they're running through their lineage, and I'm going, all right, Germans come from Germany, the Irish come from Ireland, black, what is that? At least, well, I don't, because, you know, we don't know where we're from, you can at least say Africa. At least say Africa, right? At least say African. I'm part, I know I have some African answers. And now in this day and age, you can even do an ancestry.com test and they can tell you, right, what part of Africa, what ethnic group or uh, nation or so-called tribe one is from, right? So the value of not identifying with black is it compels you to be more specific in identifying culture, knowing your geographic origin, Knowing your history. I'm gonna make the Argentine chimichurri steak. Very excited to see what this. So they give you like step by. Don't worry, you don't need to memorize everything from this chapter. You can click on the link in the description below and download the study notes for this chapter for free. Use.
exact notes from this video will definitely elevate your own stuff. Okay, you can go to YouTube and go to YouTube and let me see if I can stop this. Just like this one. We'll see you in the next video. Um, this is black or African American, the brutal truth. Um, where it's black or African American, neither, and here's why. And it's the a little 50-minute documentary as, as you guys just finished watching. And in entirely, as it stated, you can go to the YouTube. And when you search for that title, Black or African American, neither. And then they have in parentheses, here's why. You click that link and underneath the description, you'll have the notes. And you can upload and literally use that as some a sort of teaching tool just to begin to educate yourself and your children's 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 and so on okay we have to begin to tear down all the in you know tear down uproot all the wrong teachings that even our forefathers even in church our preachers and I, I I'm starting to understand my life how I was always some kind of way in a clash with a pastor or or with an individual because I always knew I'm like, nah, that don't sound right. You show sure? that's our our you know, legacy and mm, you know, I, I just don't feel a certain way. And so by all of this uprising and awakening and I'm shaking my head, wow, I've been saying this all these years and here we go. Here we go. So, uh, enjoy, and I will tune in with you guys later. This is Dr. D with the Boom Factor. If you want to send me any comments, testimony, you can always click the link to leave me an impromptu message right quick. They'll give you about 60 seconds to say hi to me. If you need to send me an email, go to boomfactortv at gmail.com. Any specific topic that you would like for me to begin to reiterate on and share, you can do that also. Okay, God bless you. children have showed up and whoever's the president they burn him in effigy you've always seen it except in london when obama was sworn in and two weeks later he went to london they didn't hang him because they sensitive to how many black folks been lynched now how can foreigners be this sensitive but we can't at home and you dropping it huh Y'all talking about oh the, the, the stimulus packet and, and the, the medical bill. We leaving this for their children. You ain't left nothing for your children that they're going to have to pay for like a racist attitude and a new world that ain't going to tolerate it and can test you to see if it's there. Amen. That's what we have time for one more. So one last quick question. Um, 
I'm, I'm freezing. Um, in the South, there was a young lady who went to Walmart. She, when she walked in the door, she put a door. She put her daughter in line. She went and got her belongings, which I do that too. And when she got when she got there back in line, they arrested her for cutting the line, and they're now trying to give her 15 years for cutting the line in Walmart. Uh, I, I, I listen. The case is, is real. Um, Oh, and, what and, and, city was that in? I, I can't think of the city, but they've been asking. For, this has been going on for two years, I found out. And they've been asking for the closed caption of what actually went on in Walmart. And nobody, the district attorney, uh, will not supply it. At first, they wanted to um, do a plea bargain with her, and she refused to do it. And so that, that's when they decided they were going to give her 15 you years. Know, let me, let me say this. And normally, I wouldn't use this as an example. But some of you all in here know about this sheriff in that little town in Texas that put hundreds of black men in jail by framing them with drugs. Some of y'all know what this daily machine did to black men. And if it wasn't for that white dude, that investigative reporter mm -hmm. that talked about how they tortured them. The John Burge case you talked yes, about. Yes, okay. And found out how many of them. So it, just, it, it happens all over. Every now and then they get caught. Have y'all heard about that little little town in Pennsylvania, all white, where all them judges just got busted because they found out they was in cahoots with the white companies in New York that build the jails, and then they wanted to build youth center jails. And all these white, this one white girl said, well, I had uh, five months. How long have you been here? I've been here five years. Huh? And so if they do that to white, what are they going to do to us? You must remember one thing that I never learned till I went south in the civil rights movement. In the south, they don't care how close you get as long as you don't get too big. That was proved by slavery. I'm, I'm living on the same piece of land he lived on. He called his a whole called mine plantation. I was living in a shack, he's living in a big house. We were living together. Up north, they don't care how Big I get as long as I don't get too close. Okay, same. Huh? Now, let me show you how it works. I couldn't understand in the civil rights movement why them white folks was blowing up churches, killing black folks and white folks in the struggle, killing two civil rights workers, two white and one black. And I realized why. They lived close enough to me in the South they say, if you give them niggas the right to vote, they'll be in the White House. They was right. <laughs> they was right. Huh? And y'all can sit here with all your little cuteness, but imagine if I waved a magic wand and all you black and white folks in here become dirt poor, white folks with no education, can't read, can't write, living in the poor of the land. And up until Obama, you could always say, well, at least I ain't no nigga. You can't say that no more. <laughs> Imagine what they're going through. And we just came out of New York looking at some research. And for the first time in the history, first time this year, that 50% of all women that was killed was killed by their husbands or boyfriends. This is, see, you got the economy thing, plus you got this projection thing. And then all at once, if y'all would just do me a favor, go to the store this week 
and go to the dog food section and buy a can of apple. Just don't look at it. Buy it to show your friends. They're taking the dog off apple because more human beings, particularly white folks, is eating more dog food than dogs. Huh? Now, the pride, I don't want to talk about it. I want to go through so this whole mix, and I'm telling you, if this thing don't change, I mean, we got one set of rules huh, for black folks, another set of rules for white folks, another set of rules for women. When I looked at Jeremiah Wright, when, when, when they were saying, well, how come you didn't leave the church? And the boy, like I said, he's just kind of nice because he asked me that. I just said, well, <clears throat> I didn't see no Catholic priests and nuns leaving the church when the priest got caught. <laughs> so why I got to be different? Huh? Hillary asked the question. I got on the radio and said, Miss Hillary, whatever Jeremiah was doing, he wasn't breaking the law, but your husband got caught doing it in the White House. That was a violation of the law. And he insulted and ashamed you and your daughter around the world. You didn't leave him. <laughs> so the rules changed. Now, let me, let me just close with this. The, the, the question you ask is getting a lot of attention. And something will happen. The reason the justice of the peace or the judge had to step down is getting attention. Getting attention. Whole lots of stuff happened that we don't know about. The three people, three people, that's the cause of slavery ending in the Civil War before Lincoln was one, I don't know why I can't think of his name. Brilliant, uh, that's, come on. I just love this at the, his award for Bill Cosby. Huh? Mark Twain. Y'all don't know who Mark Twain is. Mark Twain was born on Haley's Comet that comes every 75 years, 75 years later. He died on Haley's Comet. What did he do? He wrote these books, and unbeknown to most folks, he was the first writer that refused to write with that old English style. Huh? He wrote Southern, Midwestern, America. And when he wrote Huck Finn, Nigger Jim, if you don't understand his intelligence and where he was coming from. You see, before he said Nigger Jim, all black folks was nigger. Come here, nigger. And when that white boy said, nigga, all y'all looked. Because nigga didn't have a name. I was Kachipi's nigger. And then Mark Twain came through for the first time in the history of America and gave nigger a name. This nigger is named Jim. Huh? The first time that ever happened. And if you go back and read up then, you notice when they're sitting on the riverbank fishing, it's the first conversation of a black and a white as human beings. He wasn't talking to him like you own me, and he wasn't putting the, the worms on his fish hook. And when he, the white boy caught the fish, he didn't debone it. They was two human beings. Now, number two, Harry Beecher Stowe. See, we forget that 90. 
percent of white folks in America never owned slaves. So they didn't know what slaves went through until she wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin and them white folk got to read what Uncle Tom went through and the atmosphere changed. Okay, so you got a black man that has a name for the first time, then she comes around and tell you who didn't know. And then when you go way back down before that, John Brown. Y'all talk about heroes if you want. John Brown. John Brown. See, I didn't know Harper's Ferry. The raid took place on October the 16th, 150 years ago, this 16th of October. 18 months before the Civil War, John Brown was a preacher. Y'all talking about some radical Islam? He woke up one day and said, God told me to free him. And he got him a little posse together, a little group, including his sons, and raided Harper's Ferry. It was one of the two places in America where the government stored ammunition. And he went there where there was 100,000 guns and said, we're going to get these guns and give them to the slave. How 16 people going to get them? But the fear was so frightening. They got him. They killed most of them. His two sons shot him, gave him a trial, sent him to die, and they hanged him on December the 2nd. And this come December 2nd, I'm going to be at the very spot in Charlestown, West Virginia, where he died. Just to say to his spirit, we got you. Let me tell you what happened. As he walked out of the jail to go be hanged, he slipped a note to the newspaper reporter that read, for what you're doing to the black people, you will pay for it with your blood. And 16 months later, the Civil War. And when them Union soldiers was fighting what were they singing as they marched to the front to kill and be killed? John Brown and John Brown. That's how important he was. You don't know it now because that part is here. If you go to Washington, D.C., go to Lincoln Memorial. He's known all over the world for the Emancipation Proclamation. There's people that know of Lincoln and never knew he was president. If you look at that huge Lincoln Monument, not one word up there about the Emancipation Proclamation, okay? Only in America. Wow. Only in America. And so, have this thing changed? You see, I don't need to be validated by nobody. There's a universal God for us. My validation's already in. Not what I can sit here and tell you. I only think I got one bad blemish on my thing. I, I, I don't pay my bills. <laughs> I don't know if the real God's into that. If it is, then I got some explaining to do. <laughs> but I don't know if y'all remember when that tree fell on my car, squashed it down, right, and, and everybody thought I was dead. Right. And I got out the hospital that night. They ran all the checks, and the press was there with a huge picture of the car. And they said, Mr. Gregory, how do you explain that you're not dead? Well, you thought I was going to do what most Negroes do, which ain't nothing wrong. Jesus, I didn't say that. I, said, I owe white folk too much money. <laughs> Just 
just my Neiman Marcus account. <laughs> now, I yeah. say that to say this. 40 years ago, when I'm running in Mississippi for my life, did I ever believe that I could stand here tonight and tell you in Mississippi tonight, a black man's head of Mississippi State Troopers, black woman's head of social services, did I ever think I would see today that white folks would ask me to comment on white folk problems? I'm coming back from Europe three weeks ago, and CNN's there, and Kennedy, I mean, Gregory, you, you think we'll ever uh, uh, catch Ben Loudon? I say, we? <laughs> I ain't looking for him. I'm still trying to find out who my daddy is. <laughs> thank you, Greg. Thank you, thank you so much. guys that was so incredible you can watch the entire um interview during the chicago humanities festival where they asked dick gregory to sit in and do a q a and you can go on youtube as always underneath dick gregory and he's going to talk about race comedy and justice and it's so ironic that when he mentioned those names, John Brown and Mark Twain, well, I remember Mark Twain because we always had to read that in school, in elementary and middle school, Huckleberry Finn, um, The Adventures of, um, let me see, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. We had all these different readings that we had to read about these individuals but they did not display what their personality really was meaning what was their mindset towards slavery and blacks and as he described and that was like whoa that's something i already knew that the civil war was because the south was trying to hold on to slavery not knowing that the civil war was birthed because of John Brown and Mark Twain. Isn't that awesome? Well, not so much Mark Twain, but John Brown, that he came forth and had did this revolution and they killed him and his sons and everybody that was participating to help flee, free um, the black people at that time in the treatment that they was receiving. You see, so uh, I just pray that you guys enjoyed that little bit. Uh, as I'm learning, I'm going to share for you to watch the entire documentaries and anything that I uh, post. Um, you can always find it on YouTube and, and just get some insight so you can have a better dialogue when you are communicating with others and you're not just spewing words off your lips, not really understanding the origin of the conversation. Okay. Well, God bless you all. This is Dr. D with the boom factor and I will chime in with you all on the next episode. Have a blessed safety and healthy day.